the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back to the Ortho PAC. Today we have Dr. Virginia Casey. Dr. Casey is a pediatric orthopedist who practices at Ortho Carolina. She recently gave a couple of presentations at our Charlotte meeting, and she's a great clinician, very much a PA advocate. So good afternoon, Dr. Casey, and thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Today, I'd like to go through some of the more common pediatric upper extremity fractures that I see in clinic. If we start proximally, uh, let's talk about clavicle fractures. You know, I think the most common clavicle fracture I see in the pediatric group is a mid-shaft diaphyseal fracture. What are your thoughts on clavicle fractures? Uh, please give us an overview of that. We have some recent literature that shows that um, operative treatment is not necessary in children. And so basically, we're treating kids uh, for comfort. And so usually I recommend a sling for comfort. Um, medication such as ibuprofen is also good to help kids uh, stay more comfortable while they have this clavicle fracture. Um, usually it's a sling, depending on the age. If it's a young kid, like two to four, then maybe a sling for four weeks, just when they're out and about. Um, when they're at home, they don't need to wear the sling. Uh, they can use their arm normally, but I just don't want them to fall on it. So we have to kind of educate parents that these fractures are going to heal well, they shouldn't be a problem, but kids need to avoid activities where they're likely to fall. And sometimes these fractures are pretty scary for families and for kids because they see the x-ray and the bones overlap each other and look like they're never going to heal. Um, but we have really good literature that shows that they heal very well and kids, kids do well with clavicle fractures. So it's it should be nearly 100% of the time, unless it's open, uh, fracture, treated non-operatively. Okay, good. Good stuff. And moving a little laterally and distally, proximal and diaphyseal humerus fractures. So in proximal humerus fractures in children under kind of age 12 is your cutoff. Anybody 12 and under is going to do really well with almost any amount of displacement and, and angulation. So they can have 100% displaced proximal humerus fracture and do really well under age 12. But over age 12, they need more treatment. They need to have better alignment. And sometimes that's just a closure reduction with perk pinning in the operating room. Rarely is it adult style treatment, but anybody over 12 with a proximal humerus, that should be seen by peds orthopedist sooner rather than later. Under 12, though, they can fix almost anything. You'd be surprised how much remodeling the proximal humerus has with growth in kids under age 12. In terms of diaphyseal humerus fractures, those do very well in just a Sarmiento brace, just like the adults. And radial nerve injury is very similar to the adults for diaphyseal humerus fractures in kids. Are there neurovascular considerations? And how do you typically manage these and what is the follow-up? The main neurologic issue is radial nerve, but we don't tend to explore those in a closed fracture. Those tend to be just a neuropraxia and get better on their own for diaphyseal humerus fractures. And follow-up is, it just depends. So if we're trying to improve alignment with hanging arm cast, uh, which is a treatment for proximal humerus fractures versus a Sarmiento, I will frequently follow kids weekly just to make sure that their alignment is acceptable. And acceptable is it really depends on the age and size of the child. 
any clinical deformity where you can actually see that it's crooked is probably not going to be that well tolerated. And you may have to adjust your Sarmiento brace or your hanging arm cast to allow for better alignment. So I follow them weekly until I see catless. Okay, great. Let's move further south, so to speak. Uh, supercondylar humerus fractures and radial head or radial neck fractures. And I know radial neck fractures are typically more common than radial head fractures in the younger age group. Please give our listeners an overview of these injuries and when you can treat them conservatively versus the need for surgery. For supercondylars, you want to make sure that the anterior humeral line intersects the capitellum. So they, they have a wide range of presentation for supercondylars. They're the type threes that are really obvious, 100% displaced. You're not going to miss those. Those need to be treated right away. So those get a trip to the emergency room or Ideally, you have a peds ortho that you know that you can just call and they can direct admit and fix the, fix the elbow that night or the next day. Type twos can wait a couple days, but I like to know about those as soon as they're there. So that way I can plan for them because I know I'm going to need to get them on the OR schedule within the next few days. So I do appreciate a phone call for any type two fracture, and I'm sure local surgeons would appreciate that as well, just because it's one of those, it's not urgent, doesn't need to be done that night but it needs to be done within a few days. The things you're looking for is, you know, you want to make sure they have a palpable radio pulse, of course, and you want to make sure that they're neuro intact. So thumbs up sign for the radial nerve, okay sign where the DIP and the IP joint of the DIP of the index and IP joint of the thumb can both flex, show you that AIN is intact. Um, And then of course, ulnar nerve for either finger cross or finger spread. And you can almost always get the kids to do that. Maybe not by asking them to do that, but just by watching and playing with them, you can almost always get a pretty good neuro exam. For um, the supercondylars, basically you splint them in a position of comfort, and that's usually at about 70 degrees. You treat them with ibuprofen and Tylenol, and the type twos get fixed with close reduction perk pinning. Obviously type threes do too. Flexion types are much less common, and that's where the capitellum is anterior to the anterior humeral line. Most common is extension type, like 95% of the time they're extension types. The ones that are just a positive fat pad sign or essentially non-displaced, those get a cast for three weeks and the others get operative treatment plus a cast for three weeks. So radial neck fractures, you can accept a lot in kids. So you can accept 30 degrees of angulation. I don't love a bunch of displacement. So when you start to get more than 25% displacement, that's probably a bit too much, but angulation, we can accept about 30 degrees. And for radial head and neck fractures, do you ever aspirate the hemarthrosis? I don't aspirate these. So typically if it's more than, if it's 45 or more angulated, then I just want them and treat them in the operating room with either a closed reduction or percutaneous reduction, or if it's all the way off and flipped, you know, then that gets the child an open reduction. But the standard, just little A little bit angulated radial neck can get a cast for two or three weeks. Just like adults, it doesn't have to have that, but kids are crazy and parents really like to have some sort of protection. So cast for two or three weeks is is nice for those. And then I just limit their activity for a full four to five weeks. More worrisome to me and that I might miss it on the x-ray than an obvious displaced fracture is the plastic deformity. Can you please explain what this is and how you manage it? You don't want to miss plastic deformity if it results in a radial head dislocation. So there's a Montasia fracture that's that's easy to miss because you can focus on the ulna or you see no fracture and the ulna is just bent 
and then the ulna can push the radial head out of the socket. And if you're focused on the forearm, you might miss the injury at the elbow. So Montasia fractures, anytime you've got a forearm fracture, really look at the elbow, make sure that on all views, the um, radial head lines up with the capitellum. I think that's just absolutely critical. A missed Montasia fracture is a disaster. They are so hard to treat after a month or two. Those need to be picked up right away. So I think that would be the big message for that. In terms of diaphyseal forearm fractures, it really depends on how old the child is or what we accept and what we don't accept. Um, we can accept about 15 degrees of angulation in the diaphysis of eight years old and younger. We can accept 100% displacement, so they can be bayonet at position, certainly eight years old and younger, but even some of the older kids can, can accept bayonet at position. All right. Once again, I truly appreciate you taking your time and sharing your expertise to discuss these injuries and management of these injuries. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Hope you guys learned something. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Registration is now open for our 22nd annual meeting. This is our annual fall meeting and will be August 22nd through the 26th at the Sheridan Denver Downtown Hotel. I look forward to seeing you there.